Welcome to the Principal's Office Podcast, where we believe that the principal's job is the most interrupted job on the planet, and creating a clear and cohesive plan is the best way to improve your school. I'm your host, Dr. Tom Miller. I'm the founder of Leaders Building Leaders, and it's my goal each week to introduce you to new strategies and initiatives that are improving schools across the country. You're going to learn leadership principles that are going to help you accelerate your growth, build your teams, and execute on those goals so you can exceed those expectations of the communities that you aim to serve. If you want to learn more about what we do, you can go to our website at lbleaders.com. But for right now, enjoy this episode. Thanks for listening. Welcome. Let me know where you're joining us from. Then there in the in the chat box, say hi to some colleagues. Let us know a little bit about your school. That would be awesome. We are live, live, live. We are here. My name's Tom Miller. If we've never met before, uh, what an honor it is to spend some time with you all over the next two months. We've, if you've been part of our other book studies, this is our third one of 2021 so far. So. Uh, readers are leaders and leaders are readers. So uh, this is great. Hey, Polly, yeah, you waiting for your book to come in? Okay, it's okay. I guarantee you'll learn just as much, if not more, from the conversation anyway. So if you don't, then tell me. Just say, hey, this isn't any good for me. You need to fix it, Tom, right? Right? Len, Len's been in some of our sessions, so he'll, so he'll let you know whether I'm any good or not. I don't know. You have to ask him privately, though. So, you know, don't, I don't want to get my feelings hurt. But remember, I do see private messages while they come in here. Hey, Cynthia, how are you? And Polly and Angela's coming in. I see Barbara Cohen. Mary Majors is here. Oh, great. Excellent. Sheila Stevens. Oh, she's always a pleasure. Grace. Oh, great. Grace is here from Ace, from Anderson Creek Academy. Awesome. So here's, here's how I would love, I would love to start here. Um, hopefully everybody got their got their um, their guide, their uh, study guide, and I think I realized that I only have 18 of the chapters here, so I'll add the other two uh, chapters, and I know I have them, uh, and I don't know when I was going back through the, my notes uh, today, I didn't see them, so I'll make sure that you all get your full uh, study guide, and so you also should have got access to the uh, to the web page, uh, which will always keep the archives, right, and I'll I'll put my my deeper dive short you know videos there I was watching a few of them this morning and oh my gosh that was from four or five years ago and I need to replace a lot of them right <laughs> but it's always good to see your growth right remember you can always see your growth as a leader in every every five years and five-year uh, chunks and what we'll talk about a lot you know today is that your success will always be detect uh, uh, determined by the people that you surround yourself uh, what a what an important process so if you haven't done so so far, uh, go ahead and, and uh, drop your information in the chat box, you know, uh, where you're from, what school you're at. Uh, Alicia from Island, Montessori. I love it. I miss Wilmington. I miss the beach. I was there for, for 10 years. Emeralds, we've got folks from Texas. Hopefully you're okay in Texas now. Oh, my gosh, I couldn't believe what you all were going through. And we got uh, Ontario. Now, listen, Ontario is the weather that I, I thought I saw in, you know, Texas, right? So, uh, but this is Ontario, California. They always get me confused when they hop in here. Always waiting for a book. Barbara's here. Corpus Christi, Texas. Well, thank, thank you, everybody, for taking the time. Uh, I'll say this right now. Like, 
it, I would have never thought a year ago I'd be here. I never thought 10 years ago I would definitely be here. I'm always grateful. And someone was uh, giving me a hard time. If you receive our daily thoughts, like our daily thoughts email, for some reason, two of them went out this morning. So I'm sorry about the extra email. But I love, you know, someone was telling me yesterday, they're like, you know, I never know whether to tell you whether I don't understand them or like the grammar is bad. At them. I said, are you kidding me? I'm just, I'm just so uh, grateful somebody opens the darn thing, right? And, and so it's okay to be, it's not, you know, it's, it's for you to help you build your awareness. So hopefully a lot of you sign into our daily thoughts and you're using those. I know some of our leaders use them in their meetings or they hang them up in the wall or they share them with their staff. So, all right, so over the next nine weeks and uh, beyond, right, you, we're go, you're gonna be practicing the leadership principles of not only Todd Whitaker, but we're gonna bring in all sorts of, you know, leaders in here for our, you know, supplemental uh, resources. I love, you know, Patrick Lencioni. I'm a John Maxwell certified, you know, coach. I love listening to, um, uh, to, uh, to Liz Wiseman, if you've ever read her book, Multipliers. Um, there's just so many great leadership authors out there. And, and so what I want you to do is I want you to practice the leadership, you know, principles that meet your core values and to better understand yourself. And that's going to be our goal is to learn how to connect with ourself here and understand what great principles do differently than other uh, leaders. And then for you to have the opportunity to create your you know, course, right? Because you're all, you're all uh, learners, lifelong learners. And we know that in education, there is no uh, capacity, right? There's zero capacity on our uh, potential for success. And I want you to always remember that there is no finish line there's no finish line to your ability to lead, okay? There is no finish line. Now, there can be a cap, and we'll talk about the cap, uh, or the lid is what we actually refer to as. There is a lid, but it's opportunities like this, which helps you grow your lid and improve your capacity for leadership and therefore growing your organization. So the connecting principle believes these things, and I'm, I'm in your workbook here uh, on, the, on the second page. Connecting increases your influence with everyone you come into contact with. Connecting is all about others. It's not about you. Connecting goes beyond words. Connecting requires energy and focus. It's more of a learned skill than natural talent. Connect is establishing and connect with others by finding common ground. They do the difficult work of keeping it simple, honest and personal. They create an experience that everyone enjoys. They inspire people and they live what they communicate. And I can guarantee you, if you took the time to read that, right, or if you just heard my thoughts, whoever was the greatest principal that you've ever either been led by or worked with met almost all of those connecting criteria. Let me know in the chat box. Tell me about the best principal you've ever had the chance to either be led by as a teacher or a student or work next to and tell me if it wasn't true that they did not uh, demonstrate those connecting principles. They used their connection to influence people. They always seemed to be selfless, right? All about other people. They held themselves with this amazing body language that always made you feel comfortable. They worked tirelessly, didn't matter, right? But they always were in a great mood when, they needed to, when you needed them to be in one. 
They worked extremely hard. They didn't just rely on their talent. They were more curious about you to find common ground than you were ever about them. They always just seemed to be able to explain things in the most simple terms. They were inspiring and their actions, actions always matched their talk, right? Now, many of you might have those same practices and principles that you're very, very good at. Now, but we're not here to just be good, are we, everybody? We're going to spend this time to be great, okay? So give yourself a pat on the back for making the investment. Uh, the sessions are free, right? The sessions are free. Your book may have been free. I don't know. Maybe you found one, right? But the journey won't be free. The journey takes hard work. It takes a lot of emotion. <laughs> it takes courage. It takes resilience. It takes that perseverance. It takes knowledge and understanding. I mean, all the things that it takes to be an effective leader. It's overwhelming at times and sometimes seems improbable. But guess what? It's not. It's not at all. In fact, it could be actually pretty easy, right? If we do the hard things. <laughs> the people who do the easy things, right? Life is hard. But people who do the hard things, life seems to be a little bit more easy, doesn't it? So I love it. So thanks for introducing yourself in the chat box. So I would love it. So on page three, in your mind, what are the leadership characteristics of great principles? What did you put in the box? And I'm going to, um, I'm going to uh, if I can get to my controls here, I'm going to let you guys unmute yourselves. So go ahead and mute your line on your side for me. Right. And when you want to share, you certainly can. But I'm going to, I'm going to let you guys unmute yourself. Um, if you want to hop in, but I would love to know, either put it in the chat box or unmute yourself. What were some of the characteristics on page three that you wrote down? The leadership characteristics of great principles. Who'd like to share? I'll, I will. One of the best principles I ever worked for was certainly not, she was not willing to ask anyone else to do something she was not willing to do. So she had a work ethic that was, uh, quite a, uh, an example of what she wanted that to be in our building. I love it. I love it. And I heard you're pretty good there too, uh, Tammy Edwards, because Lindsay McBride <laughs> just put in the chat box and she's working with the best. So she has to say it. that she's That's sitting awesome. right here beside me. Uh, I love it. It's true. Yeah, it's, it's true. <laughs> but isn't that a great point though, Tammy, you said like you had the opportunity to work under great, you know, a, a great leader and observe a great leader. And I'll be honest, we all don't have that opportunity. That doesn't always happen, right? There's a lot of folks who don't, who do not know what great leadership looks like because they honestly haven't been around one. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what Todd's really trying to tell us in chapter one, right? It's like, you have to be looking at great, you have to have an understanding that there's better out there for you. And as much as we hear, oh gosh, you know, I got this parent who does this, or there's no money, or there's this, or my you know, school district is making me do that. I mean, whatever it is, as a coach and a consultant and a former principal, I said, yeah, true, but the school right next to you actually has the same problems, the same types of parents, the same types of difficult teachers, and the same amount of money, yet they're doing better. So what is the difference? <laughs> Something is the difference, right? And it's what you all are putting in the chat box right now. 
is leadership, right? Quality leadership is what makes the difference between good and great schools. Consistent, right? Great leadership. So let's look at some of these words in here and anybody else want to unmute themselves to add, add to the conversation. I'm going to dive into some of these great words you're doing in the chat box here. My mouse is acting funky today. So I got honest, approachable, trustworthy, creative, and brave, tenacious. So oh, I love it. High level accountability for self and others. That's right. If you can't lead yourself, and who I wrote that, that was uh, Danya, Danya Swain? Dana. Dana, I'm sorry. Dana, my apologies. Dana Swain, I love it, right? If you, if you can't lead yourself, who's, who's going to follow you? <laughs> Nobody will. That was, that was a huge mistake I made. There's this great uh, proverb that says, he who thinks they leads and has no one to follow is merely taking a walk. That was my first five years as a leader. I was just taking a lot of walks. There was nobody around me. Ms. Ritchie said, my daughter's principal always said the relationships were critically important, but they had a purpose. And the purpose was to increase student outcomes. And she was tireless. I love it. That's uh, beautiful. Compassionate, selfless, available, whether to come to watch a great lesson, discuss opportunities for growth, or just being visible and building relationships with kids. That's right. That's huge, right? Nobody, nobody, you know, leaders, and I made this mistake, so I'm not going to, uh, anything I say is never, never to impact anybody else in this room except in a positive way and accelerate your growth. But I used to have an open door policy, and then I didn't realize to have an open door policy means you have to be truly available and present and listening to your people. So you have to switch your open door policy to an open ear policy. And, you know, I find that often is, you know, leaders will say, I don't, you know, my door is always open, but if they're not coming, you got to ask yourself the question, what role do I have in this problem? Because if you can't ask yourself that question, how could you ever say things about your staff, right? And that was my issue, giant ego. Approachable, growth mindset, flexible, multitasker. Awesome. Okay, perfect. So you've got your list. Now, now the hard part is if you were to observe, right, if you were to create that mental model of perfection of those words that you wrote down, and I pulled these from the, um, from the uh, uh, Facebook group, servant, consistent, motivator, knowledgeable, ethical, uh, uh, tactful, empathetic, right? If you were to create the mental model of perfection of those words, that's your vision for greatness, right? That's your vision for greatness. And then you got to rate yourself on a scale of one to 10. So if I, so if I want to be a relational leader and I look at the greatest relational leaders, right? If I would find other, you know, relational leaders maybe around my team or in my you know, county or in my area, or, you know, maybe it's, you know, someone who's, you know, um, like on TV or, you know, whatever it may be. But I say, okay, that's, that's a 10. Now, where am I? And if I'm like a two, whew, I got some work to do, right? I got some work to do. And this is where it's so important to be constantly having a mental model of perfection of what you feel, right, is great. Now, it can't just be what you choose, right? You know, Tammy, because if you only feel like, well, this is what I think great is, <laughs> you got to get some feedback from your people. Be like, 
Yeah, that's great, Tom Miller. That's not bad. Let's look at the, you know, some of these other words. How about humility, right? How about, how about tactful? How about relational? How about available? Like, what would that look like? So bringing in your team and say, hey, what do you all expect of me? What do you all think a great leader is? Now, how many of you have, have done something like that? Has anybody in the Zoom asked your staff what their expectations are of you, of leadership, of what a great principal looks like? Anybody take that challenge? What do you think they would say? What do you think they think a great principal is? Either unmute yourself or put it in the chat box. What do you think your staff would say if you said, hey, I was in a session, I was reading what great principals do differently. What do you think the characteristics of a great leader are? Someone who's transparent. Oh, I love it. Go on, Samantha. Someone who supports them. Someone who listens. Yeah, listens to understand, right? Doesn't listen to reply. Someone who isn't too far removed from the classroom. Ooh. All right. Someone who has their back. Oh, I love that, Lynn. Yep. Support. Yeah, this is great, right? So the only way that you're going to know how to close this gap of your leadership is to do a couple things. Is to, one, to take a look at the, the person in the mirror. <laughs> take a look at the person in the mirror and say, how, how am I, right? How am I doing? If that's a 10, where am I? And where, and where might my staff rate me? on some of these uh, characteristics. Because I really loved this list that you all put together because I think, you know, sometimes, you know, you know, we think as leaders as strong and, you know, confident and, you know, strategic and all these things, but I didn't see any of those words come out. <laughs> it was all about soft skills, right? But, but, you know, the conversation is how much soft skills training does your district or does your organization put you all through? How many, how many trainings on courage and resilience and communication and empathy does the district line up for the year, right? Or the charter schools or the private schools? Is that the first one on the list? We're going to have empathy training. We have listening training. None. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I was just wondering because I never got to go to any. <laughs> I know it would have helped me a lot if we would have had that. Yeah, no, but someone who can show empathy has high expectations for the community and holds that people compassion, holds people accountable compassionately. Yeah, that's right. Here's what we agreed to. Here's what I saw you do. Help me understand, right? Help them close that gap to get there. Maybe some of you were in our dealing with difficult people training last week, and that was the conversation that we were practicing. I love it. So we talked a little bit about why should we look at what great principles do. And I shared a little bit from my, you know, dissertation study, and I know we got lots of, you know, district principals in here, we got private school principals in here, we got charter school principals in here. We're all, we're all principals, doesn't matter. We all have school problems. But when I was a charter school uh, uh, director, I had the opportunity to travel across the state of North Carolina and go visit the most effective schools that said yes, right, you know, to my dissertation study. And what an incredible experience it was for me to walk the halls of these high uh, performing schools with, you know, kids of all, you know, different races and, and, you know, cultures and uh, backgrounds in all parts of North uh, Carolina. I mean, talk about 
you know, something that really lifted my lid, like my understanding of what effective leadership looks like and what a real quality school should look and feel like uh, culture-wise. I was very lost because uh, I just I just didn't know. I didn't know, um, you know, what it was because my career as a teacher, I was an exceptional children's teacher. And I spent my entire career building my own career ladder, right? Any certification, any training that I could go to, I went to. And I just thought leadership was all about getting the badge and all about just, you know, being the best, uh, uh, you know, leader who was knowledgeable that I could. And I spent very little time learning how to communicate and, and be uh, compassionate, right? And to really seek to understand uh, people. It wasn't until the last, you know, six years that I really started that, that you know work so has anybody here had an opportunity is you know you know maybe there's an initiative in your district or in your area where you get the chance to go see and tour high performing schools does that ever happen <laughs> no no <laughs> no you should have brought him into the training him or her into the training we would have just used the role play so we yeah. do what did you learn yeah 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 go ahead my campus is a school to watch. And so we're a school to watch and we're also an avid national demonstration school. So because we're an avid national demonstration school, we have people come and visit us, but same with schools to watch. We have people come visit us, but we also go to other schools that are schools to watch and avid national demo schools uh, to kind of pick up on their best practices and some of the things that they do. Um, and I will say one of the things that I've seen that has stood out to me is what has made some of those schools uh, run well is um, retention of their school leadership. Um, mm -hmm. uh, uh, oftentimes their principal has been there for multiple years. Their staff has been, they don't have a high turnover rate with teachers. Uh, and that makes a big difference. Um, I know that I'm the longest standing principal on my current campus and this is only my fourth year here. Uh, other oh. <laughs> two years and they're out. So, you know, yep. hard to I was sustain. Actually, you just, yeah, Danny, you just made me think about that. I mean, what a great valid point. It was actually one of the, it was the first characteristic that came out of my dissertation was to sustain leadership had really grown that organization. And in North Carolina, what's the state you're in, Dana? Uh, remind me. Texas. I'm in Texas. You're in Texas. Uh, 2.7 years is the average tenure for a, a school principal here in North Carolina, and, and we're one of the worst. Um, but if you think about it, uh, from a charter school perspective, and we just, you know, think from that world, if every three years the leader's turning over, and then the board turns over, because that's about the term, but also in a district, you know, school boards, you know, that's, that's a constant cycle and a constant cycle of change. It's hard to create greatness when there's no sustainability, no clear you know, mission and purpose and vision and goals that we're all aligning to. And that's kind of this next, you know, question as a school principal, what guides the uh, decisions you make every day? And for me, you know, I wrote purpose, vision and goals, right? Who are we? What are we trying to get to? Um, right? And, and, and does this, you know, program or does this, you know, decision take us closer to that final destination? But if I didn't have clarity in where I wanted to go, Every decision is a crapshoot, right? Yeah, maybe it works. I don't know. Let's try it, right? You know, compared to saying, this is how I can at least communicate that it can take us to that, you know, piece. And so 
five years ago, I started, you know, we have that in North Carolina. We have our teacher leader consortium and our principal consortium pre-COVID where we would tour those schools and every quarter we would be in there just like you just described. I mean, what a great opportunity. So maybe let's all hop a bus down to Texas because it's been years since I've been there, Dana. And, you know, we all may come and visit your school, uh, you know, to check that out. But what a great opportunity to go and see more. Who else has had an opportunity? Thank you so much for sharing, Dan. Who else has had an opportunity to go visit other schools? What was some of your, what was some of your awareness that you got from that tour? Now, Barb Cohen, Barb, are you able to share? I see you, you, you got here as a teacher, yes, but not as a principal. If you're able to share, we would love to hear your perspective from a teacher. What was well, that like? Sure. Yeah, hi, Tom. So, uh, you know, from a teacher perspective, it's absolutely eye-opening. It really, so I can see from a principal perspective how it would be as well, but definitely when I had the opportunity, um, th you know, I also did um, SACS or Advanced Ed Accreditation mm -hmm. where you go in and visit schools. And so that's an awesome opportunity but it, it really is eye-opening. It gives you so many ideas and so many ways to look at what you're currently doing and how to improve it. So it, it is definitely a, a change agent. Yeah, I love that, Barb. Thanks, thanks so much for sharing. And uh, Barb's a leader at Lake Lore Classical Academy, which is in North Carolina. And if you haven't visited Lake Lore for a vacation spot, do it, everybody. It is a beautiful, beautiful part of our state. And, and I love what she shared because what she said is that I could see it, right? Because sometimes it's, you know, you know I can pick up a book and read Todd you know, Whitaker or, you know, Michael Fullan or whoever else. I'm like, okay, well, this makes sense. Or like leverage leadership, right? Or any of those really thick, you know, massive, you know, telephone books. Um, that, you know, uh, we try to study. Incredible information, great, you know, practical knowledge, but I need to go see it. Like, I need to be in the room. Like, I need to be part of the process to be able to really understand what it looks like. And for me, being able to, to, to see more allowed me, you know, to be more, I believe, as a leader, because then I could really put some context around what I was trying to communicate uh, to my team. So my call to action to you out of chapter one is to identify three principles that you'd like to spend more time with, right? And, you know, make a point to reach out you know, to each of them over next month, and maybe it's a 15-minute call. Um, and if you, you know, maybe don't have it, at the start of our podcast, I'll share this out, you know, this week, our first 12 lessons on our Principal's Office podcast, where I'm interviewing some of the best uh, leaders here in North Carolina, and there's a couple that I'll uh, pick out there from, you know, different types of schools. Um, and I'll label them for you. And, and, you know, again, it was an interview of those, but it just, it's just important that you start to kind of hear and understand what other principles, and then, you know, groups like this are always helpful, right? We've already heard from a couple of leaders from across the country uh, to, um, to help, you know, grow ourselves. So that's my call to action from chapter one. Does anyone have any other thoughts on why we look at great that you want to share? You said, why we look at great, Tom? Yeah, why do we look at great, Sean? Sean uh, Williams from North I, I, Carolina. Go for it, Dr. Williams. I, well, even with the book, I mean, that, that was that saying, you can learn from anybody, but it, it, I don't need to learn to keep doing the bad. I want to learn, I want to reach for the top 
So I want to look at those that have excelled, that I could pick up tips from, uh, that have been doing great things to bring back to my school. Uh, it's really about time for me. Mm. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. Yeah. And if you've read John Maxwell's book, The 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership, the first law is the law of the lid. And whether or not you all know it, everybody, you are the lid to your own you know, personal success and also your team's success. So if I'm a, you know, a six out of 10 of leadership, my my organization will never get above a five because I'm I'm you know keeping them down and what will happen is that you know the people who have a higher growth uh, capacity and leadership capacity they'll leave me because <laughs> they're they're tired of hitting their heads you know but if I go see other schools if I get you know professional development if I if I raise my leadership lid my capacity to lead all of a sudden my organization starts to also improve and that's one of the hardest parts in leadership is to have that growth mindset and to be a continuous learner, uh, but also to be able to implement what you learn. And so um, I think it was Alvin uh, Tofla, I may say his, uh, um, his uh, name and uh, correctly. He said that, he said that the, um, the illiterate of the 21st century will not be those who cannot read or write. It'll be those who cannot unlearn and relearn. And that's a critical part of leadership is there's a lot of unlearning and relearning so we can raise our leadership lid uh, and, and, and be more effective as leaders at our school. So that, you know, takes us on to, you know, chapter two and here Todd's, you know, talking about it's the people, not the program. And, and so for me, like, wow, you know, this is one of those, I think there's really simple pieces, but it was just interesting, you know, you, you know, we have an inner circle of uh, principals that meets that, you know, every Monday is in small group. And I can almost tell you almost every single group has this last three weeks has talked about people in their organization that are bad for the organization, right? Those difficult people that make it challenging, right? Difficult people that continue to, to not have their own um, who, who just choose to do it their way, right? Or, or you know, choose not to, not to follow, or you know, just just go on to make things hard. And it's interesting to me because the common answer when I say, well, I mean, you do have the opportunity to to move them or change them. Like, oh, but they're but they get good grades, or the parents love them, or you know, whatever you know the answer is. Or gosh, we're so close to the end of the year, and I just say. If they put you through this much heartache for 150 days, what do you think the last, you know, 60 to 90 days are going to be like of of the year? And so I love what Todd says here. He says he says in the only way that you can improve your school. Well, there's two ways. You can hire new teachers, right? Hire new teachers or improve the ones that you have. John. John Maxwell shares that we hire people for what they know and we fire them for who they are. And it goes into Todd's, you know, second point is that effective teachers build relationships and motivate students to do their best. Effective principals do the same and use input from their most effective teachers in making decisions for the school. So as you were going through, you know, your COVID you know, changing is all these, you know, challenges we had throughout the last year. 
how many of you were able to 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 put your best teachers in mind how did you how did you make decisions like Todd shares here based upon your best teachers what are some strategies that you use to do that Um, this is um, Miss Leverett from Sugar Creek Charter School. Hey. Hey, hey as, welcome. Thank you. As um, we built or uh, determined platforms that we would use for remote learning, um, and we did staff trainings, we intentionally checked in with those teachers who are the stars of our, our I'm in middle school, so the mm -hmm. stars of our school, and if they were overwhelmed, if they were stressed out, that let us know that, okay, we need to do some additional coaching or we need to really streamline and figure out, is this really necessary what we're doing? Because it was just a really difficult transition. So we just constantly, the curriculum team and I constantly checked in with those staff members to see, how are you feeling? How are you doing in order to be able to gauge how people that struggle a little more would possibly be doing what and i love that so what what made you do that was there a learning was there you know something you learned from your previous experience to to um check in with your best uh, teachers first well I, when i first became a principal i read this book so <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I, I i've used the strategy so I, I learned quite a while ago that that's necessary so I love it. I love it. And and for all of you who don't know, Sugar Creek Charter School is in Charlotte, North Carolina, and their mission is to eradicate generational poverty, one child at a time. And um, so highly recommend if you have an inner city school or not an inner city school, come check them out because they're getting things done. And um, so you, you made me think about, you know, John uh, Maxwell shares that we need to spend 80% of our time with our top 20% of our people. Now, I know everybody just said, that's nuts. Well, but it's true, <laughs> you really do. But what happens, right? We flip over, we spend 80% of our time with our bottom 20% of people. Gosh, if I, could just, if I could just get you a little bit better, and then what's happening? Our really quality you know, teachers are getting left out. That was a huge mistake that I made as a leader, that I did not, I did not focus my time and attention on my multipliers, right? You know, the people who could multiply leadership. And so, you know, you've got uh, Cheryl Turner is one of the podcasts. I'll make sure that I share that out, right? But really, you know, really, I mean, effective leaders know that their job is to teach adults how to lead adults so they can multiply and lead the next level of adults right and just keep on raising those expectations um i love it who else had some thoughts around you know people over programs because i was a principal at a program-based school and we were pretty effective but as i kept looking at it the only reason we were really effective was because of the people now we didn't treat the people great so we had a massive turnover <laughs> but the school was always effective but i think about the talent and and how we really equipped everybody to be um, effective teachers, it really was the people that made a difference because kids don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. I mean, that's really all that, you know, comes down to it. And any kid who has a bad experience in a school, it's usually because they don't think that the teacher cares about them, right? That's what they always tell their mom principals, right? Ah, she just 
doesn't like me. <laughs> That's always the case. So who's got some thoughts on this chapter two? It's the people, not the programs. Could be yeah. same ideas or opposite ideas. Go for it. Tom, one thing, and we're a brand new school opening up this year, first year charter school. Uh, and I walked in the door in November. Um, and one things that I saw right walking in the door was just a very big disconnect among the staff and that they were really burned out already. Uh, and so the very first staff meeting I had with them, I told them it was time for a reset. And uh, they all looked at me and said, what was I talking about? And I basically said, we need to reevaluate, reimagine, reintroduce who we are, what we're doing, what is really essential to us? What, what things do you want to accomplish? What things can we eliminate right off the bat? Um, then we began to strategize. Uh, then we executed and now we're in the, in the teamwork phase of people working together. But I think the biggest thing for us was that they needed a, to breathe again. Uh, um, they were, you know, trying to open up a school in the midst of a pandemic and losing your instructional leader. Um, a lot of chaos was, was taking place. So it was really a big time for them to just know, hey, we're interested in you as a person. Uh, you know, scores, whatever they be, they'll be, but let's make sure you're healthy and wise. And I think that was the biggest thing for me walking in the door that has helped to my success. And then watching the leadership just come from that to know that they could mm -hmm. just start over. Yeah, I love it, Sean. Thanks. And I remember walking in the school a couple of years ago that um, uh, uh, I was looking at their budget and they'd spent like $80,000 on back-to-back -back years on uh, iReady, you know? And I just couldn't understand because as I walked through, you know, the rooms, none of the iReady was, you know, being used. $160,000 of iReady, two years. And I just asked, you know, the leader, how come you're not using it? You spent 160000 on it. And the first thing that they said, well, the teachers don't believe that it works. Well, I'll tell you, it does work, right? Every plan works. doesn't matter what plan it is. I don't care what curriculum is. It will work eventually if you implement it correctly. And it's interesting how, you know, when we have this people over program you know, theory, it's the people that drive the program to make it work effectively, no matter what, right? They're the ones that carry out, you know, they're the ones that need to be trained and equipped on it. They're the ones that are gonna make the difference. And, but sometimes we think that we buy a program, right? So if the highly effective school next to us is using X you know, instructional methods, then that's what we're gonna use. And I always, you know, I said, whoa, whoa, whoa. I said, you can't just use what they do because you have an experience where they have to get to as good as they are. You have to start from where you are right now. And it's this model of good, better, best, okay? Best is always your mental model of perfection, all right? So I'm trying to lose 10 pounds in 10 weeks. I got two weeks left, so I got 3.8 uh, pounds and not every day I can get my 30 minute work in it, right? But, you know, can I get five, right? That's my, you know, that's my good. <laughs> can I get 15, that's my better. Can I get my 30? That's my best. And every single day as organizational leaders, we are in this good, better, best model. We want best every day, but we might not be able to do, you know, the seven walkthroughs that we had planned for three days, right? Because, you know, sometimes you hear your leaders plan your week out. And you're like, oh, I'm going to get 15 walkthroughs and seven observations. Like, well, there's only 168 hours in a week. So I'm not really sure how you think you're going to get this. But what would best look like? And what would good look like? Could I just do a walkthrough, right? 
it might not be the result that we're looking for, but it's a result. And it's important to be, you know, to remember everything rises and falls on leadership. So it's, it's really falling on you to be able to develop people, to develop relationships with people, to guide them, to direct them, to utilize the programs and the methods that have been committed to and agreed upon as an organization. But it doesn't matter because uh, uh, rules without relations equals resistance, period. So I don't care how great the program is and how strong you think your written down policy is, if you don't have relations, it's just going to meet with a lot of uh, rigidity. So what are some ways, I want to spend this last 10 you know, minutes here, what are some ways that you can ensure that you recruit, hire, and I should have put retain the very best teachers? I would love to hear from this. We've got 25 amazing leaders in the Zoom here. What are some ways, either in the chat box or you know, open up your mic, that you ensure that you recruit, hire, and retain the very best educators at your school? What's worked for you? One of the things that I've one of the things that I've done is I've included if I'm doing a let's say it's a fourth grade teacher I include my fourth grade teachers in on the interview because they need to be able to work with that person and they're going to be able to tell me hey this is our number one candidate this would be number two and so forth even though I ultimately make the uh, the decision but they have that input. And I think that's really important. I include a few other people too, obviously, but um, I include them. So, and they love that. I love it. That I can do that. Yeah. Why do you think they love it? What are some things that it gives them? Well, I think it just gives them a sense that, hey, we're on the same team. We're doing this together. And uh, it's a team effort here. It's not uh, uh, an individual effort. It's a team effort. Yeah. It also makes me think that you uh, trust me. Yep. Right. That you that you value that you value my you know feedback. So I'm no longer I'm no longer a teacher amongst my four walls. Now I'm a teacher leader outside of these four walls with with an actual opinion. Right. As exactly. a part of the process. Yeah, it's good. And then the great part is if if that person doesn't seem to be the best, you could always say, hey, you guys were part of the hiring process. Let's work. Let's let's keep on working this out. Right. It wasn't just me who made this uh, decision in a silo. I love it. That's a great one. What else are you all doing out here? Thanks. Thanks for sharing. I had a really wise principal tell me once, and I'll uh, just to piggyback off that with using a committee that you look for three C's. You look for content, if they know their stuff, if they know, you know, what you're hiring them for, uh, character, obviously. Mm -hmm. And then the last one is that connection. Um, like he mentioned just today, because sometimes you may have two equally good applicants who are um, just one is, is not the best fit for that particular team with that group of people. And so allowing them some buy-in on who they select. But those three C's have taken me a long ways when I'm interviewing someone. How do you measure the second two uh, Tammy, because I can measure whether or not you're a pretty good teacher or not. What do you do to check on the character? What's your, what's your character strategy? is just uh, going beyond just a reference check. It's somebody that knows somebody that knows somebody that has, has worked with them <laughs> doing your homework and doing a little digging beyond just the people they may um, put on their references. 
Um, and in connection, I, I mean, I'm just an old fashioned believer. Sometimes you just go with your gut, you know, what, what mm. feels right. And it's interesting how many times on an interview committee that even though I may be 51% of the vote, um, uh, that, you know, we'll, we'll often come to the same consensus that we all have that same just gut feeling like this is the one. Yeah, I love that. And I'm a, um, if any of you have ever done a disc uh, profile, you know, I've got a high eye, you know, style. So I, you know, I can see the best in everybody. I actually had to kick myself off of the hiring team because I could see anybody being successful, right? So I was the last, you know, person that would ever uh, be a part of it. Uh, but at our school, you know, we got to a point where I had established some really strong relationships with the local university and we were constantly bringing on field experience and interns and all those things. Uh, so we had like a nice, you know, uh, uh, recruiting cycle. And before you would even get an interview at our school, you had to spend a week of time volunteering. And I put you with our top, you know, teachers, and I would ask them, is this person worth our time interviewing, right? Because we, because it's, it's hard, it's hard to, it's hard to fake it for a week, right? Mm -hmm. You know, you put people in some, you know, uh, situations in, you know, uh, teacher's lounge conversations, recess yard conversations, classroom conversations, eventually they're going to show themselves. And I know that's a little bit harder now, but the more, you know, you're right, Tammy, the more time you can spend with them outside of actual school, like regular school, like unstructured environment, you know, the better you'll be. We were hiring a principal at a, at a school last year, and I said, you know what, why don't, why don't we take them out to eat? And we took this person out to eat, but I said, but in the car ride, in the car ride, I want you to ask them a lot of, a lot of questions. And we watched two things. We watched number one, how they treated the waitress because we had a feeling that they, they may have had a little bit of sexism in them. And then we also made sure that we, that we uh, filled the car <laughs> with, with teacher assistance. And we had found that this leader was treating, uh, you know, lower like organizational chart, you know, folks completely differently than they were treating the other people. But we would have never caught that if we didn't take the time to, you know, uh, uh, put them in different situations. And, and, and what's the cost of turnover, everybody? You all know what the cost of turnover is? What's your, what's your guess? Who wants to throw some numbers out there? Dr. Williams, you should know this because I screen this from the rooftops. <laughs> it's one and a half one and a half, it starts at one and a half times the salary of the person. And it can be up to four times the salary, depending on how high they are in the organization and the most and the intellectual property and you know, training that you've invested in that person. Um, turnover is extremely expensive and it, it ruins reputation, right? Credibility of a school, it's really hard. And just to think about that every you know, three years the leaders are turning over, the only the only constant is is the teachers, you know. Sometimes, uh, for the most part. Can I ask um, a question about sure. this? Um, I'd like some input. We we struggle to um, when it talks about recruit and hire the very best teachers. We struggle to find um, diversity in our hiring. Um, and I would love some input and ideas. We get hundreds of applicants. We're close to a, a college town but we don't get a lot of diverse applicants. And I feel like that's so important yep. for our kids. How, how do you do that? How do you recruit other than, um, I'd, I'd love some ideas and some feedback from people who've been through that. 
Yeah, now, I love that too. In rural Bladen County, we struggle just to get applicants. Period. What's the county you're in, Polly? Did you say Bladen County? Bladen County in North Carolina. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, I so I think one of the things, you know, Tammy, would be to think about how are we defining uh, diversity, too. I think that's always, you know, you know, important because it's, 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 it's way more than just, you know, race and nationality. There's all, you know, but I hear exactly what you're saying. I was in Brunswick County, which is a rural, you know, county here in North Carolina. And uh, yeah, I mean, what a challenge it was. But once we had hired one African-American male, who I'm really excited to say he's still there, it just seemed um, two things happened. Our African-American population uh, of, of you know, uh, students just felt like you could just feel it on campus. It was different. But they also created a safe place, right? So they started to also recruit um, you know, friends and colleagues of theirs who were also, you know, persons of color. So I think that was one big step we took we, to get that one that was really part of the backbone of our organization. Uh, I think he's gone on to win like, you know, like, like a science teacher of the year in North Carolina. I and mean, we were really, really fortunate. But again, it tied back to that university partnership that we had. So I don't know if you have and, and ours was UNC Wilmington here in North Carolina, um, but I don't know, you know, how you know strong those partnerships are. But you're right; it's a very slow uh, decline of of you know applicants uh, who don't look like me. So, who else has an idea? Yeah, uh, I do. Um, I'm a middle school principal, uh, and one of the things that I realized is that. I used to stray away from first year teachers, but those have been my best teachers because they're mold they're more moldable than, you know, our teachers that have been teaching for, you know, 10 years, 15 years or more. Uh, and the other thing is that what I have found is that if you do get a veteran teacher at the middle level, I've found a lot of value in hiring teachers who have taught elementary. And the reason for that is they have the pedagogical skills are higher for elementary teachers from my experience than they are for secondary teachers because our teachers who have only done secondary have a certain mindset like the kids are growing up and they can't be loved on and so you that social emotional support and that lovingness that you get at the elementary level you don't normally see with secondary teachers but um I did also want to hone in right quick on what Tammy asked. Um, I think your website is something to look at because applicants look at your website and it needs to speak to diversity. Um, if it doesn't, then it's going to be difficult for people uh, from different backgrounds to feel like that's a place where they would be comfortable. So I would definitely examine my website first. Um, and then kind of go from there. And somebody said to, to reach out to some HBCUs or you know, colleges and universities to, to recruit that way as well. I love that idea. I mean, you, I mean, you nailed it, right? If you're recruiting as students or um, you know, employees, the first place that they're gonna go is your website, your Google reviews, right? Your niche, I mean, all, all those things is where they're looking now. And so that is a really, really critical part. And if you're on here live, like you just got gold here, because that because that might have been the difference of why you know folks are not coming to you. I love it. Um, and I'll share out. 
we've got a 16 step hiring uh, process that puts a lot of these uh, pieces. So I'll make sure in the resources that, uh, this week I send it out. Go ahead. Is that you, Sean? You yeah, it was. I, I was going to say, because starting here, we, and I wrote it in chat, our trip to Sugar Creek was a game changer for me. Um, because most of the schools that I've been to and I visited did not have the diversity. And I remember getting back in the car with the team and I said, did y'all notice anything about the staff at Sugar Creek? And, you know, the male population of teachers that they had, the, 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 the African-American, just the diversity of that staff. And we came back with the mindset that we were going to uh, mimic them. And my school right now has five male teachers, four African-American males, one Caucasian, um, three or four Hispanic, three Hispanic teachers. Um, and these aren't TAs and uh, several African-American females. But we intentionally recruited and we also took the risk of having first year teachers um, because we felt like we could not pull uh, the seasoned teachers in as a beginning school. And so we just went out and recruited, and, and we've been very fortunate that the, the community has recognized the diversity. Um, the students love it. It makes a huge impact on day one. Uh, so it's been a good thing. So it is. it has to be intentional. That, I guess that I need to say it. That it has to be intentional. You have to make up your mind, this is what you're looking for, and, and just continue to keep going after it. Yeah. I have one more. I mean, you nailed it. Yep, go ahead. Um, one of the things that um, we did was you have to begin recruiting teachers in your high school. Because one of the things that we don't do is we don't promote our, our profession. And there are a lot of um, organizations um, for um, and, uh, up and coming teachers, teachers future, the future teachers of America, things like that. And so maybe beginning to really let people know that this is a noble profession. I think our young people have so many options, especially with the tech, um, technology options, and all the other things. They have so many other options that they don't really see a benefit in the going into teaching. And so we've got to recruit for our own selves. I love that, Ms. Hopkins. You nailed it right there. I remember when I was a, a recruiter at UNCW and I went to do, you know, something and no one in the room wanted to be a teacher. I was like, <laughs> I was like it's going to be a hard sell. Everyone to be lawyers. And I love all those high expectations. But yeah, I love it. So what, you know, uh, great ideas. Build a, um, like a teacher cadet program within your uh, school. Make sure you're very intentional what you're looking for because the universe loves speed. Okay, so just like you're creating the vision for the great uh, principal, you're also creating a vision for, you know, the avatar for the perfect employee of who we are looking for. And that way, when you take those resumes and when you take that information, you could say, these, you know, folks do not meet it. We need to change our recruiting practices. We can't keep looking in the same place and, ex you know, and expect diversity to just come to us. It's not going to just come to us. Right, we have to be inviting to it, and we have to be uh, part of it. Um, how many of you all go through diversity and inclusion trainings? Is that you know something that you that you know that you do on a consistent basis? Because that would be something you could advertise on your webpage too. I would imagine. Does anybody do that? We've done microaggression. We've done microaggression training. Yeah, 
I mean, that would be a big part. 75% of the workforce in five years, I think, I saw is going to be millennials. 75% of the workforce. And they work, as you all know, no offense to anybody in the Zoom, they work differently, right? It's a whole collaborative completely. They want autonomy. They want, you know, different working conditions. That's a whole different level of what we, as, you know, you know, leaders who are not millennials from that time, like we have to lean into them, like right? They're not going to lean into us. And the leaders that are really struggling right now are, you know, certainly the ones that are not, you know, looking at um, all of the different types of folk in the organization. And they want to be fulfilled. Yeah, I love it. Um, yeah, so I've just got some notes. I love what, you know, Sean said, make sure that use uh, behavior-based interview questions will also help you is one of our great, you know, strategies. Um, the other thing that I, that I did as a principal is if you recruited somebody to our school and they stayed 90 days at a staff meeting, I, I uh, gave you a crisp $100 bill uh, as, a, as a reward uh, because, you know, I mean, you know, the cost of, you know, marketing is way more than that. But it was something I, you know, got from Dave Ramsey uh, about how he would uh, pay. Uh, so I would always offer that to the folks who uh, work there, e even if it was a parent. Somebody brings in a person that fills the spot, and that, that's a quality, a character person that lasts for their first, first 90 days. I would you know, pay them a bonus. But I had to do it in front of people so they knew that it was actually real. So, um, but anyway, not sure everybody can use that strategy, but that's something that I did. Uh, so we, we uh, talked about uh, spending 80% of your time with your top 20% of people. We talked about um, improving your uh, recruiting process and, um, and getting really clear on who you want. I love the three C's that Ms. Uh, Tammy shared. Um, reminds me of a, you know, John Maxwell, too. Um, say those three again, Tammy, what they are, because it's character, competence, uh, you said content, but I'll say confidence. Yeah, and what was the third? Oh, character and connection. Connection. That's right. So those three C's uh, are, are, you know, another great way to be able to do that. So your call to action for uh, chapter two, if you accept it, is to, I challenge you to make a list of your top 20%. Who are the top 20% of your staff? Now, these are not positional uh, people, 20%. These are like these are, these are the backbones of your school. These are people with high uh, capacity. These are the people that when I asked you, how would you describe a great educator? Like these were those words. And really start to pay more um, time with them, right? Connect with them at a deeper level. Know what their strengths are. Know what their five-year goals are. And then be able to write out how you're gonna support them in meeting this goal. Because I can guarantee you right there, right, as you're building the vision for your school five years from now, answering the question of what will parents see on uh, March 1st, 2026, painting them in the picture of what the school will look like based upon who they want to be and their strengths will be a great recruiting tool. I'm sorry, a retention tool and recruiting tool uh, for your organization. And always be mindful of the Peter Principle. Does everybody, has anybody ever heard of the Peter Principle? That is that everybody at some point in their life will be promoted into incompetence. So in education, we tend to do that a lot. Someone goes out and gets a certification, 
and we uh, promote them, but they may not have the strengths or the skills to actually do it or the ability to relate, right? They don't meet those three C's. So be very conscious of that. Be very, very conscious that we're not just promoting individuals you know, based upon their time or their longevity or their experience. It's making sure that we, we put uh, people in, in the right place, right? When you put individuals, it's a law of the niche. When you put individuals in the right place and when you put individuals in the right places, that's multiplication. But it makes a big difference, but it puts uh, people at home. So um, that is, my, that is my, um, my challenge for you guys is to take that time. So great job. Uh, did I take the $100 out of my pocket or the school finances? A little bit of both. I don't know. I mean, it all depends what uh, school I was at. When I was at a charter school, uh, I, I took it out of my own pocket. Uh, uh, to do it. This last time I had the school build a budget for it. Um, and our goal and our expectation was that every teacher, because here's the thing, if I'm going to recruit somebody, I'm not going to re recruit somebody who's not going to last. Right. And we all know that we all have friends in education that probably ask you, hey, tell me more about your school. I'd like to work there. And you go, it might not be for you. <laughs> but that's getting really clear on who you want. And I had that experience a lot, Sean. Uh, that I would have to say, I don't think our school is for you. Our school was very rigid in terms of expectation, and um, it was a behavior-based uh, education plan, and that's not for all uh, teachers. It was all scripted. So, but anyway, all right, great job this week, everybody. Uh, put your action step in the chat box. I would love to know what's one thing you're going to do this week to be a little bit better, right? What's one thing based upon this hour and two minutes that we spent collaborating here? or the first two chapters you read or the videos, or maybe something came out, what's one thing you're going to do this week to be better by next Monday? Put it in the chat box. Love it. Spend more time, right? Would you identify your top 20%. Good job. Yeah. And I'll send some information since that seems to be a top one. I'll send um, that's a, that law of priorities. It's the Pareto principle that 80% of your issues come from 20% of your problems. So if you uh, focus 80% of your time on that 20%, you're gonna get a greater return. Um, that's law priorities. Okay, so I'm sharing out law priorities. I'm sharing out the hiring process. And I love this idea about the website. Ms. Swain, you crushed it. That was awesome. So thanks everybody for participating. Ms. Hopkins, uh, Les, and Tammy, and Polly, and there was a bunch of other people, and Sean that came on. And uh, see you next week. Be safe. Wash your hands, wear your mask. Wait your turn. Let's get through this together. Bye, everybody. Love you all.